Hey folks, welcome to episode 39. Today's show sponsor is Servid Solutions. So we're just coming into um, the middle of June, and here at Servid Solutions we are preparing for uh, vaccine paperwork and vaccine shipments prior to weaning. Now, many of us are still having fawns uh, or in the thick of fawn season, and you know it's it's kind of hard uh, to to you know distract yourself from that and say, hey, I need to start preparing for uh, weaning time. And for some of us, that's going to start middle of August and then transition into the September and October months. So at Servit Solutions, we want to prepare for those. And by doing so, we want to make sure that we have what's called non-adjacent paperwork. Uh, that is the regulatory paperwork that is needed um, by your, your vet and the lab so that we can ship the two uh, products to you. So with that said, if you're considering vaccinating and you're looking to start a vaccine program, weaning time and this, this fall uh, is an excellent opportunity to get shots into those fawns, establish that immune system uh, with a vaccine program, and make sure that your adult animals go into the breeding season for 2021 in the best possible condition they can. So you can find out more information over at servidsolutions.com. You can follow us on our various social media platforms, whether that's North American Deer Talk uh, Facebook, the Servid Solutions Facebook page, the Servid Solutions Instagram account, and various other media platforms as well. Enjoy the show today. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Josh Newton, your host for North American Deer Talk today. It is June 14th, and we have a kind of impromptu show today. I do not have anything prepared other than uh, one note that says, feed, basic, simple, steady. So we'll, uh, we'll see where that takes us. Um, I just wanted to uh, to hop on and have a chat with you guys. I haven't haven't done that in a while, and um, wanted to uh, kind of plug some of the other uh, platforms that we use uh, for getting information out about various things: deer farming, ranching, breeding, etc. So, um, I guess with that said, um, I would encourage. Uh, everyone, you know, I, I talk about how we consume media. Everybody's a little different. Um, if you enjoy the kind of longer form uh, shows, uh, you can head over to YouTube. Uh, make sure you, you hit that subscribe button, like some of those videos, etc. We're starting to build up a, a pretty decent size, um, you know, bank of, of shows there and, 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 you know, various messages for let's say, uh, Pennsylvania Deer Farmers Association, chronic wasting disease releases, uh, Nadifa News, um, and then obviously the, the North American Deer Talk uh, channel and show. So check that out. Uh, also, if you are on Instagram, um, or even if you're not, uh, you should consider being on there. I, I wasn't a, a big uh, quote-unquote Instagrammer, but it's a, a great way to uh, spit out some kind of helpful content there, and you can check that out. It's just uh, Servid. I think it's Servid underscore solutions or Servid solutions. If you type that in, it'll come up. Uh, check out that account. Um, I usually do a, a video, you know, we'll call it four or five days a week anyway, 
uh, where we just kind of stay in touch uh, with things going on in the in the farm, out in the out in the quote unquote real world, out of this this office, and you know just cover uh, maybe the type of milk replacer we're using, um, you know how the bucks are doing, fawn care, uh, pasture maintenance. Um, you know, fencing, you, you name it, all things deer and deer farming, um, you know, kind of whatever I, I see that day. Um, I, you know, I'll do like a two to four, two to five minute video there. So check that out. Um, obviously, you know, the, the Facebook pages, whether that's uh, the Servant Solutions Facebook page, the Red Ridge Whitetails uh, Facebook page, which is really the testing ground for all the things that we do at Servant Solutions, and then the uh, North American Deer Talk group. If you are not following that, I suggest you do. I, I post up um, all the new shows, so it kind of keeps everything organized for you. You don't have to scroll through some of the, the different deer groups um, and, and, you know, find shows that way. Uh, but certainly everything's always posted in the servitsolutions.com website. Now, with all that said, um, and I apologize for, for spamming all my own stuff to you guys, but I just want to make sure that you're, you're able to find all the, the different things we do. Um, let's chat uh, feed basic, simple, steady, which is what I have written down here. Um, you know, I, I think that many times I take for granted um, having a really uh, high-quality mill and a really high-quality um, feed blend that we use. So it was, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, we'll call it. Um, and, and I was going through, you know, setting up a new farm and bulk food delivery, et cetera. And I was having challenges with having a mill uh, close by, you know, within let's just say like an hour of me, hour and a half, that would deliver bulk food, um, and that was worth a darn. So I remember, you know, kind of formulating a feed, making some, you know, tweaks here and there, and, you know, working with the nutritionist at the mill, and, you know, having animals get, you know, acidosis, and how, how did I know that? Well the damn things would have ulcers right and it was just like problem after problem and like the solution was always you know tweak this tweak that and add some sodium bicarbonate to it right bake baking soda right to chill chill their guts out and i was just it was it was just frustrating Right? And I suspect these are the same challenges that many of us um, go through, have gone through, etc. Because I, I, I hear these tales on a, on a general basis. And, you know, feed and feed distribution is, is one thing. Um, but, and I'll, I'll just make some comments, uh, you know, relating to, to these types of things. So um, I had met uh, Shane Horrocks from Max Racks way back when. And um, he had been making, originally, been making uh, exotic feed and, or, or feed, excuse me, exotic feed. Yes, very exotic feed. Um, s s 
steaks, prime cuts of steaks, and um, uh, organic potatoes, and yes, uh, exotic feed. Um, feed for exotics, and um, that was a, a pelletized feed. And I was always a fan of of textured feed. I just I, I think that um, in my observation, the, the animals that I have fed texture feed, generally speaking seem to have a higher level of performance. That does not mean that pelleted feed is bad. I have seen tons of great deer grown on that. Um, it has its advantages. It has its disadvantages. I prefer texture feed. Okay. Um, anyway, so him and I had started working on um, developing a relationship with a mill up here, and there's there's a couple big mills, but like, the, for me, one of the longest standing mills is uh, Mark Hershey Farms in Lebanon, and that's Lebanon, PA. And I, I maybe this isn't interesting for for folks outside of, of Pennsylvania or Maryland or Virginia or, you know, Jersey, New York, whatever. Um, but I think the, the story is, um, the story is interesting and, and can probably be adapted for for various regions around the country because this seems to be an ongoing problem. Um, I didn't really have a, an interest in feeding, a, we'll call it a commercial feed. Um, not Again, not that they're bad, you know, you have your whatever, record racks and Purinas of the world. Um, you know, they probably have good feeds, right? Okay. So uh, Mark Hershey is a, a, a top-notch mill. And the quality of grains that they put out is excellent. So uh, st all steam flaked, all of them. You know, uh, steam flake oats, steam flake beans, steam flake corn. Uh, and the steam flaking process, again, non-nutritionist, so, so bear with me if I'm saying stuff wrong. But the steam flaking process um, sets the moisture content and it it helps make the product a little bit more uh, digestible while locking in certain um, you know nutritional levels i think it's much like um you know like a pr preservation process and a you know preservation of moisture process instead of like a straight roasted bean um you know it's it's pressed smashed and steam flaked so anyway, they're, they're the only mill around that I know that, that does that. And I always had really good success uh, feeding that uh, prior to, to meeting Shane. So I had recommended that, you know, he try to work with them. And we got uh, a textured feed kind of dialed in. So the, instead of having the, you know, straight pelletized feed, uh, we, we had... You know come up with a, a blend so there's a concentrated pellet which basically has all the you know vitamin and mineral content uh, put into it and then you know it's it's pressed and put in a palatable form that's not just loose fines trying to be attached to grain via molasses right okay so we got a really really nice feed made and uh, pretty basic stuff when we first started it was um, oats corn uh, beans and sunflower seeds so you know after a few years 
I just peeled out the sunflower seeds. Number one, they were adding a good amount of cost, at least at the time, um, to the feed, and um, you know the the birds the birds get in there, right? They they are bird attractors. Uh, not that the birds don't get in there with the corn and the beans and the oats and stuff. Um, we also added barley. Now, not all mills um, like to add barley in. Why that is, I don't know. Maybe they just don't want to source source the barley. But uh, Hershey has those available, so we uh, we opted to to make a blend that was you know corn, beans, oats, barley, and um, so far so good. Uh, I've been feeding basically. You know, we made a first year kind of went through um, feeding it. My observations were relayed back to. To max racks, and then um, you know, ultimately, that's the the feed we settled on uh, is that max racks blend, and you know, we have a we'll call it a custom formulation, but it's just the Red Ridge Whitetails blend at, at Hershey. Um, you know, if you're a if you're a Servit Solutions member and you want to order that, you just call in, uh, they'll check with me, and then I just I I release that uh, formula to uh, to you guys and you're good to go um and and that's uh that's pretty much it uh you can you can use that feed anyway so for some time uh, i had been i had been you know using using that feed and it just continued to work and work and work and you know you kind of forget about it right and i had made uh, just a simple change last year. I wanted. I, I've been working towards getting away from molasses in my feed, and I want to say like 2018. Uh, I just, I just stopped. And so the only thing we add to our grain mix is uh, soybean oil. And that's it. So, um, what's the point of this? What's the point of the basic, simple, steady? Find yourself a. Um, Find yourself a product that is very, um, very basic in, in what's there as far as uh, your your levels, so your protein, fat, fiber, and you know we'll call it general rule of thumb is uh, somewhere between we'll just say 15 and 18 percent protein, somewhere between we'll call it four and eight percent fat and then somewhere between whatever eight nine uh to you know twelve percent fiber now those are the the basic levels that everybody talks about um and then there's you know a two to one calcium to phosphorus we like high levels of uh vitamin e and of course there's a ton of other uh, vitamins and minerals in there um, I just let someone that's way, way smarter than me take care of that. Um, we have two feeds that we feed. We feed one quote unquote summer blend, and then we feed one winter blend and that's it. It's like super basic. Um, you know, summer blend comes on, we'll call it March and we usually peel that off, call it September and then switch over to, uh, the winter blend so it's um again I, I started this by saying i take advantage of having 
you know, a really good uh, quality feed. It's true. So whatever you have to do um, to, to find that feed that works well, um, do that and then don't divert from it. You know, keeping things steady, I got steady written here, steady is important. Let's not make big drastic changes to our to our feed programs. Um, simple and basic, like these deer don't need a lot. Now, um, you know, there's been a, a big run up in commodity prices. Feed is very expensive right now. Um, and, you know, I've heard people throwing out like number, big numbers, 800, 900, $1,200 a ton. Uh, we're not there. You know, last time I got feed, maybe last week, it was like 550. Um, so as fed, you know, we might be up. Oh, I don't know. Call it 575. Now, there are many people that have, they were feeding sub $400 a ton stuff. I suspect it's over now. Uh, regardless of how they're they're pushing it i mean corn prices are way up so um anyway it, it's <laughs> it's expensive to to feed deer and they you know they we can feed them all sorts of different stuff but they really convert pretty basic grains uh really well um, but having your levels well balanced is really important i have seen um 400 inch deer grown on 12% protein right um, I've seen 400 inch deer grown on 20% uh, protein so it can be done right um, it, it's it's not uh, it's 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 not complicated and you know basically every time you you bump up a percentage in protein you know you're looking at somewhere between a 10 and 15% bump in the price so did i say 10 to 15 percent i meant 10 or 20 10 10 to 15 dollars per ton sorry um anyway so you know find yourself a quality feed if you're located close to lebanon pa uh, and you want to get some mark hershey feed let me know we can make that happen i don't make any money on it i just like to protect our our formula here and make sure that um you know, people are feeding what we're feeding and, and, and not mess with it because it works really well. And there's, I can't tell you how many farms up here feed that stuff and, and do awesome with it. So, um, sorry, I keep, I keep peeking over. Um, it's, it's dumping the, the sky just un, unleashed and, um, it's, uh, it's pouring out now, which is, you know, pretty, pretty typical apparently for, uh, for the past few weeks here, we've been starting to get some rain. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not real sad about that. We uh, we needed rain. It was starting to get dry, and we needed rain, and we got that. Um, so yeah. Um, anyway, I think um, I think another thing that we'll uh, we'll touch on is is uh, fawn care, and and we kind of, you know, we do this every, you know, every so often as we uh, do these shows. But let's run through what um, kind of day one through, you know, three weeks, four weeks of age looks like. That's kind of where we are now um, and, and how we 
we really manage those things. Uh, first off, um, I'll start with we like to keep our animal numbers um, by industry comparison very low, and that is um, somewhere in the in the neighborhood of uh, four deer per acre. And I really like that four number. I've been settling on that more and more. Um, I'm not opposed to five. Uh, I'm not opposed to six. And we recommend, we we'll just call it four to six deer per acre. I'm really liking the four number. And it's just not a lot of work maintaining these animals at that density. Now, is that the best use of your ground? I don't know. I guess it depends on kind of what your goals are and what you're looking at doing. But for us... Yeah, yeah. Uh, four deer per acre, as far as the does having fawns, that's a that's a great number. They're easy to manage. They're easy to maintain. Uh, they seem to do well. There's not um, not a ton of social stress that I can see. Although there is some because some does are are you know more territorial than others. You kind of have to work through each one of those on your farm, um, and perhaps work on you know developing. Uh, genetic lines that are you know not susceptible to that type of of uh, aggressive behavior or maybe like I don't know um, so anyway um, that's that's the really that's one of the core uh, core tenants that we come at this with is that um, it is incredibly important to monitor and manage your pen density um, the other thing that we do is we use both the uh, PV2 and EV1 uh, vaccine products. And that's it. We don't do anything else. So when these fawns, um, when these fawns come into the world, you know, they're, uh, they're ready to go. The um, process when we go out and we, we check fawns, we do a quick physical examination it's it's not often that we see something that's not right like these guys are pretty pretty dang perfect when they come in the world um is there stuff that can happen absolutely um so like what's one thing that we saw this year i have a dauphin that has a kind of bowed um front leg it almost looks like it's hyperextended when she stands up it's strengthening so she is uh three weeks old and you know it's starting to straighten up and she's you know she's she's doing fine i haven't i haven't touched it i had another fawn that um had really weak uh if you're watching the video it's it's easy to see but so uh the hoof let's just say let's say these are the hoofs right and they're they're on the ground this uh, ligament section that connects the, the lower leg to the, to the hoof, um, she was just walking flat on those. So it was like the whole thing was down. So her, her dew claws were touching the ground. And um, I didn't mess with those. You know, uh, as soon as I got her, you know, out of, the, out of the, you know, little stalls that we have in our fawn barn and kind of outside, um, she started walking around and, and running, using those a lot more of the strength right up. She's perfect. So, you know, aside from that, what do we have? Uh, 16, 17 fawns now. Um, they've all been perfect. So what do we do? We go out, you know, basically I pick them up, make sure they got a, a full belly. We, you know, we're fortunate to have been, we've seen 
80% of them, you know, in the first, we'll call it three, four hours of life. Um, we watch them nurse on mom. They've been, the moms have been doing a great job. No interventions needed. Um, we just make sure they got a full belly. Um, you know, a lot of guys will, will iodine the hoofs and the umbilicals. We haven't done that this year. Um, you know, a lot of guys will give a vitamin B shot. We don't do that. Um, it's not to say that you can't. It's not to say that we won't. We just haven't. So, you know, people ask, what, what are you doing this year? Um, I go out. I check the sex. I do that quick physical examination. I make sure they got two eyes, nose, teeth, uh, you know, f- f- four legs and uh, a tail and the reproductive parts seem normal, um, which you can do in literally like 10 seconds, right? You just done. Um, we give them half a tube of fawn paste and we check the we check the, the sex on them and then we walk away. So like, you know, I could check fawns in like a minute and and that's it. And then we just monitor them daily. Um, you know, if you if you can't like I can check I can do a quick check on all my fawns by driving around. You know, that's how we kind of have our pens set up. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, if the fawns are if the fawns are not able to be seen for us, that usually means that like they're fine. When you have fawns that are kind of out in the open, walking around, obviously crying or making noises, um, then then there's an issue, right? But like if these fawns are like kind of tight and, and, and hiding, that's what they're supposed to be doing. That's normal. So um, that's what we want. Anyway, we try to do, you know, fawn check in the morning and, um, you know, one in the afternoon. As these fawns get uh, past, let's just say two, three weeks, three weeks, um, we just do one one physical check a day. So take a quick lap around the pens, you know, walk, walk the, the pen. Um, if you've seen any of our videos, you've seen how we have those set up. I try to keep everything mowed. Most of the fawning, pen, all the fawning pens are pasture. A few of them has some uh, big timber in them. So, you know, 50, 40, 50 year old uh, maples and oaks. So they're, it's big high canopy stuff. And um, it's it's open underneath grass for the most part, and um, you know there's 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 just not a lot of like cover, thick like brambles and bushes and auto models and stuff like that for them to hide in. Um, so we keep you know grass strips mowed, and I keep those to a minimum. Now over time, when I cleared out some of my my uh, fawning pens, it was all woods, and what I thought was a, a brilliant idea was to bury all the stumps in the pens. Now, those of you who have done this before, and when I say stumps, I mean like, you know, uh, white pine and hemlock stumps and some hardwood stumps that like are as big as a pickup truck, right? Like old, old stuff. Um, we took some, some big chunks of timber out of there and there's like, there's like probably five acres on the, the one side of the drive that we have. Um, broke up into like three three pens and it was all you know not you know it's not virgin timber but like old old timber right and we just we basically clear cut it so uh, all those stumps got buried well all those all those areas have have sunk and created caverns and stuff and anyway I keep filling uh, with with dirt and you know old pieces of wood and 
you know, hay, you know, messed up hay or grass clippings, whatever I can dump in there. Um, they all go in there and it kind of fills those in, but you get a lot of tall grass growth around there. So like those have been, um, I, I pretty much only do like one strip now. I used to do like three or four because um, all that was, was flat, but now I have these areas that are, you know, maybe uh, 20 by 40 uh, feet that are starting to sink down and have some like topography changes of, you know, maybe a foot or two. And um, the grass is real tall in there, so as long as I maintain that there's no sinkholes, um, you know, I can I can just let that grass grow and those fawns hide in there. Funny thing about those sinkholes that's not really so funny is that um, I've pulled some fawns out of there. So if you get a chance, um, it's probably on the Red Ridge Whitetails Facebook page. You might have to look back. I don't know, maybe... I'm just guessing, 2010, 2011, 2012 maybe. Um, check out uh, check out some of those pictures. I think there's a picture of fawns that had, uh, there was two fawns. They went down in the holes and like the holes like went down like two feet and then they went over like eight, right? Like little caves. And um, anyway, I like <laughs> cleared a uh, section out in the top so I could like get a net down in there like a shovel or sticks or whatever and I got those fawns out but um yeah not not cool you know you don't you don't want you know five thousand dollar fawns going down in there and you know you hear like bleeding or something and you're like what the heck where are these fawns you can't find them and then you find out they're down in the hole I also remember um at my uncle's place I had rescued a I had rescued a fawn um, out of a groundhog hole, right? And these these groundhog holes, if you're um, if you're in the east, and I don't know the range of the uh, of the uh, the groundhog, but like we got a lot of them over here, and especially if you're in farm country. Now I am I am in the mountains, and it is rare to have um, to see groundhogs up here. Maybe in some of the ag fields, but like. You can drive like 10 miles in every direction from my place and there's not like, there's like no ag fields, right? So it's like just, it's mountain ground. Um, but as you, you know, as you kind of go south from where I am and then over into the east, you know, you get into a lot more, a lot more ag ground and his place was over in the, in the eastern part of the state. Uh, and there's plenty of groundhogs over there. Anyway, so these things are like, they're legit, man. They dig some serious burrows and uh those fawns man if you have groundhog holes in your pens those fawns like they go down in there and like they don't come out like they're gone um and i remember like doing a fawn check or feeding one day or something like that and i hear a fawn crying and like these 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 pens were a little bit harder to check um than like open pasture like they were open but like there's a lot of spots for fawns to hide so like take you some time working these these pens to hide them and to excuse me to find them um and i remember finding the hole and like just like sitting there and waiting because i didn't know if the fawn was down there or not and then i hear it and i'm like oh my gosh this fawn's down there and uh i ended up saving one but like we we lost a couple down down in those those um you know those holes so anyway back to the caverns check out i think those pictures are on the red ridge facebook page um 
pretty pretty wild like scooping them out of there uh i just when they I, i'd stick like a stick back in there and they'd scoot across and i thought i'd have to like try to get them in a bucket or a net i just horse collar them you know you, you just grab them by the neck and whoosh, launch them out and uh of course they're they're two weeks old so they're kicking and screaming but um we got them out of there which was great um I got sidetracked. I apologize. Uh, so back to back to um, doing those fawn checks. You know, physically getting those animals up and and making sure that they're okay is important. The first two weeks of life, the first two to three weeks of life, the number one killer of fawns is dehydration, and dehydration is often caused by uh, scours of some kind bacterial diarrhea and knowing what to do how to combat that is incredibly important so here's the process that I go through um, and I think this will speak to uh, many of you that have um, maybe not experienced this or are seeking the the answers uh, perhaps on you know some of the deer forums or social media uh, sites and some of the Facebook groups. Um, I, I separate topic, but I, I have many issues with the you know quote unquote definitive answers from experts um, that I think lack uh, critical thinking and and um, you know are sharing experiences, which is fine, but it's it's taken as gospel because of how it's written. So. Here's the process that we go through. Here's the process that we recommend. And um, this is very um, easy to do, but it requires the, um, the basic knowledge that, that you do go through it. So when you're dealing with uh, digestive issues in mother-raised fawns, like dealing with bottle feds, that's a separate story. Um, not that this process doesn't work there, but like it's a separate story. Um, you have to get a fecal sample when you first start doing this, like when you first start identifying uh, is- issues and such, right? Like you, you have to identify uh, the problem. And the only way to do that is through diagnostics. So get a fecal sample. And if your vet is, let me rephrase that. The overwhelming majority of veterinarians do not have the capability to do the testing that you need done. This needs to go to a state lab. Some vets aren't doing that. So, like, you take a fecal to your vet, and what what do the overwhelming majority of vets have the capability of doing? They can check for parasites. They can do, you know, fecal floats. And that's good, right? Like, do you want to know that an animal over the uh, age of – of two weeks old has coccidia. Yes, please, right? And a dog and, and cat vet can do that. And they can check for, for other parasites. Um, but if you're doing, if you're looking for bacteria, you, ha- you have to get that to a state lab. So many of the, the um, deer states, right? This, the states that people raise deer in, like I'm in Pennsylvania, so wh- where can I take my, um, my fecal samples? The P- 
Penn State Animal Diagnostic Lab System or the uh, PA Department of Agriculture Diagnostic Lab System. We have one at Penn State, right? State College, Penn State. There's one in Harrisburg, and there's one at the U of Penn um, New Bolton Center down towards Philadelphia. Those are the the three one, the three primary ones. That's a state state facility. They have been doing uh, cattle samples and and other you know livestock species, but cattle samples for 50 years, and they're incredibly proficient at what they do. And the tests are really cheap, at least for what you get. There are many, many other state labs. So pretty much all of your universities that have an ag program and p- places that people raise deer, uh, let's just say Texas A&M, right? Let's say University of Minnesota. Let's say Wisconsin-Madison um, or University of, of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, let's say... Um, you know, Ohio State University, and you can, you can go through uh, Purdue in Indiana. Um, so those all those big ag schools will have a, a way for you to, to get these diagnostics to them. Now, what do you need to do in – now, we're just fixing fawn problems right now, right? What do you need to do in, in March? Well, in March, you need to be making sure that you have – the proper materials that you need for doing diagnostics. So maybe that's diagnostic forms, right? So get on the website uh, or, or call up the lab and say, hey, where do I get the forms so I can actually submit these things? Have a couple small styrofoam coolers. Get yourself gel packs. Um, have a variety of swabs. Make sure you got latex gloves or rubber gloves. Um, have these things ready. That way when you, when you get a sample, boom, you're off and running. All I have to do is get it to the lab. For me, Penn State is um, an hour and 25 minutes. I'll just drive it down there. I'll get a fecal sample in the morning. It'll be at the lab in, I don't know, an hour and a half after I get it, two hours. And they're getting me results, heck, sometimes that afternoon. Well, that's important. Now, what results are they getting? They're at least getting identification of what they're dealing with. You know, a, a, a fecal test for, for parasites might take them 20 minutes. Um, bacteria longer, depending on the bacteria, but E. coli grows really fast, so sometimes it might take six hours. Um, maybe it's the next day. Now, identifying, and, and I keep saying E. coli because that is the overwhelming majority of what we're finding is E. coli. So if you got a, and I'm not discounting the other things that we deal with, but E. coli is a big problem. Um, that doesn't necessarily help with the treatment, although it's going to narrow it down. Um, he, here's what, here's what I, I want you to think about. There is the there is the probability that when you're treating or let's just say you've identified E. coli or you know it's E. coli in these swans, there is a possibility that the antibiotic that the um, deer guru on the social media sites have told you to use or the protocol that they told you to use is like injecting water into them. How do I know this? Because I've done it. I've 
done all the protocols that all you know everybody told me to do and none of them worked why didn't they work because these bacteria have specific sensitivity to certain types of antibiotics you have to know which antibiotics will work and will work the best for your particular bacteria farm etc well how do we do that this is the key you need to take anything away from this this is for for your general bacteria we'll call it clostridia and any e. coli um, you have to do an antibiotic susceptibility test they call it an MIC so you ask for a mic test antibiotic susceptibility test and what they do I'm, I'm um, trying to give you good visual examples right so they take the bacteria and they put it in a petri dish right so you have um, 15 different petri dishes with your E. coli in each one and it's just growing in there right okay and then they take a little squirt of fluorophenicol right new new floor and then they take a little um penicillin a little ampicillin a little neomycin etc 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 right and they they all the common trade name uh medications that we all know right you can name them all exceed batrol blah 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 they test those against your e coli now they're going to get three or four different types of results susceptible you know resistant not determined okay just because a antibiotic is susceptible doesn't mean it's the best one right so at least the ones i get they, they, and this is where penn state is like dynamite right they give you the um, drug name over on the left-hand column. And then they give you a bunch of numbers in the center. And then they give you susceptible, resistant, not interpreted. Okay? So what you do is you just scan over and you find all the ones that are susceptible. Right? And it's like, I'm just going to, I don't, I'm giving an example. This is all theoretical. Uh, it says uh, oxy's tetracycline susceptible, right? Cool. And then right under it says, um, you know, Batril susceptible. They use the drug names, but I'm just I'm throwing these out for you, right? Enro Enrofloxin, that's Batril. Enrofloxin susceptible, right? So you're like, cool. I'll just use LA200. I have it, right? Okay. So you use the LA200. And the animal is responding, but it's responding very slow or like maintaining. And you're like, what the heck? This said that it was susceptible, right? And then we jump over to that, that number column in the middle. This is the key. And they have greater than, less than signs, and then they have numbers, whole numbers down into decimals. And next to the oxytetracycline, it says 32. 
32, right? And you're like, what the heck is 32? We'll get to that in a second. And then you have, next to the enrofloxin, it says 0 0.05. That's a really small number compared to 32. The smaller the number, the more effective that particular antibiotic is in treating this particular bacteria based on these lab results. Now, does that always mean it's gonna work in the field? No, but it is a hell of a lot better than just guessing. Somebody says, use whatever, SMZ, use SpectraGuard, use Tylen. What, you know, it's just like, yeah, okay, maybe that works for you. And, 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 and you've said that, but like you're giving people this false sense of hope about, you know, what's gonna work uh, for them on their farm. And even though it said that oxytetracycline and enrofloxin were both, um, you know, quote unquote, good drugs to use or they were susceptible against this bacteria, the enrofloxin was way, way, way better than the oxytet, right? Again, hypothetical, I'm just throwing this out there. But the value in going through that process is really, really important. Because guess what's going to happen? You're going to find another farm with E. coli. Promise you. And when you see that, at least you have a good starting point while you're getting diagnostics on that second fecal sample to be doing some sort of treatment, right? And I'm not saying a specific treatment, but one based on your previous experience at your place based on these diagnostic results and depending on how fast you catch it and the situation, you're going to save a lot of animals doing it that way. Over time, and more and more as you develop these uh, treatment protocols, you're going to see a trend. And you look at these diagnostics, you're going to see a trend. And mind you, all this is done with the supervision of your, your veterinarian because they're, they're, going to, they're going to be helpful with this stuff. Um, doesn't matter if they have experience with deer or not. They're going to be helpful in the interpretation of your diagnostic results and what they mean, um, as well as you know your your antibiotic susceptibility chart, etc. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. That's going to be really helpful for you. But you're going to start to see a trend of certain types of antibiotics or certain protocols. You know they don't give you the protocols from the diagnostic lab, but you're going to look at these diagnostics and start seeing certain types of E. coli, right? Because there's a bunch of different ones. You're going to see certain types of um, or families of antibiotics that seem to work well for these classes of bacteria at your place. And that's going to like really be a big win for you. Then you need to start working towards the kind of long-term prevention process and what that looks like. Separate show, we can talk about that separately. Um, I've already given you like really two kind of uh, key things, or, or one anyway, and, and wink, wink, that's, that's pen density. Um, less animals, less problems, right? But that is, that's kind of the the basics to run through with with um, you know diagnostics and then that antibiotic susceptibility. I know I've talked about this before, but hopefully that was a a good explanation of the importance of that and like why that works. Uh, I guess I should have probably you know maybe started the show off with that. It seems like 
you know, every year come May slash June, we all run through these uh, these problems, right? And uh, maybe your farm's just not, you know, it's not a it's not an E. coli farm, right? Like it's not a it's not a uh, a farm that has Salmonella or Giardia or Crypto Spiridium or whatever, you know. You can, you can come up with the, the different problems digestively that these fawns are, are pretty highly susceptible to. And and good for you. Like, I'm I'm glad you don't have to deal with that stuff. But maybe your farm's a, you know, a, a farm that has to deal with fuso or has to deal with, you know, later season pneumonia. And and I think we'll, we'll cover it. We'll cover those and kind of how I work through those as well. The process isn't dissimilar to what I just said. Um, you know, the, the can't stress enough. Diagnostics are really important. We can learn a ton from these diagnostics. Um, it's well worth the money. I know it's a kick in the kick in the teeth. You know, you, you just lose a valuable animal. You know, we work all year to get these fawns. That's our, that's our, our inventory is our cash flow. It's our next generation. It's incredibly important to us. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have an animal that dies, getting some diagnostics done is really important. Um, it just it, it, it loads your guns and and gets you ready for for future events just like that. So I think um, I, I've <laughs> rambled here for for forty some minutes. Uh, I think we'll wrap up and um, you know again. Hopefully that was that was helpful. Um, I I I think that 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 mental process that you go through to understand, okay, you know, first order of business, diagnostics and identification, second order of business, treatment and treatment protocols, third order of business, prevention, and, um, you know, kind of long-term planning. I think when you work through it like that, um, you'll, you'll set, yourself up, set yourself up for success. Um, that's what we've done here. It's worked incredibly well. We try to, you know, we try to preach that on to, to other people that, um, that, this is a, a you know a recognized quote unquote uh, thought process to to go through or a protocol to go through um, for for success on your farm. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, you know we're gonna check out here. I really appreciate everybody joining me. Hopefully this is um, this is well received. And as always, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk. <laughs>